There's a lot of misinformation or confusion. And I kept reading, this is the Wall Street Journal, and I kept reading it and not one time in the article they compare different types of omega-3 fats. They just omega-3 fats. Welcome back to a Rest, Eat, Move podcast. This is uh, Matt Johnson and you know today as we did our three-part series I thought I'd bring back this kind of scenario where I'm asking my father Chris some questions and these are going to be questions that are, are frequently asked questions. They're on our website. Um, we get them asked at every presentation, email, phone calls from coaching and I'm just going to go through these questions, some questions I find interesting that uh, we've been answering for probably 10 plus years. And some of them are more relevant today than they were 10 years ago. But uh, again, these are the frequently asked questions. And so uh, I have my father, Chris, in the hot seat. Try to stump him on a couple of these. Welcome to uh, ask Chris all these questions. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to answer them all, but we'll give it a shot. We'll have fun with this. So one of the first questions is should I take a vitamin or probiotic? Let's start with that common question that we get all the time. Well, I begin with asking what do you want? And so when you think about Nutrition 101, a big part of that is what nutrients are you missing? So here comes the multivitamin. And number two, what are you not absorbing? So I wanna get these nutrients, but am I really gonna absorb them? And so that's where the multivitamin Again, makes sounds great, but are, am I really getting what I need? And that's the intention why I'm trying to. So in my opinion, I wouldn't start with a multivitamin. I would start with eating real powerful whole foods. And when people do that, it covers lots of ground. So people can eat an orange. They can, you know, consume oatmeal. They're now getting B vitamins. They're getting magnesium. They're getting vitamin C. So you start covering more ground. And then as time goes on, maybe the emphasis I want to maybe supplement that and that might be a superfood, and that's what we promote, is something a little bit more powerful, but also coming from the source, you're getting better absorption. So the answer would be, I don't really start any of my clients out with a multivitamin. And if they want to do a multivitamin, I would have them move into a whole food multivitamin that they would get at a health food store that has real nutrients in that ingredient list. What about somebody that's already taken multivitamins? You're coaching them. You don't want to tell them that they're wrong or that they're stupid. But what do you do with those folks and how do you move them or shift them to some better approaches? Well, back to the first conversation is that are you really absorbing that? So let's take a look at your current multivitamin. Is it synthetic? Is it whole food? So if it's synthetic, which about 90 to 95% of multivitamins are, we would move away from the synthetic multivitamin to a whole food multivitamin. And you know that by looking at the ingredient list. So if it says beta carotene, we use this as an example. Beta carotene is anything dark, basically orange, could be sweet potatoes, carrots. But if it says beta carotene as a marketing piece here, but it has no sweet potatoes or carrots, so we know it's synthetic. So that would be the first step is moving away from synthetic to a whole food multivitamin. But if you were talking to me just straightforward with no emotions or not trying to make hurt someone's feelings, would you have anybody that's taking a multivitamin continue to take one if you really didn't have that emotional? And then, you know, this is the honest conversation. Part of behavior change requires emotions. And so we understand that as coaches and motivators that we can't just 
always tell them exactly what they need to know. We got to coax, but if if you're just being transparent, what well, would you say? Yeah, I think the big thing I always try to do, and I think you do this, and Kristen does this, and Tab does this, but we want to give you a little bit sneak peek behind the curtain. So if they don't know why they're doing it, they're not going to, if you just tell them don't do a multivitamin or what kind of relationship you have with them. But if they really, we have this ongoing relationship, I'll just go right to the, and no, no, get rid of your multivitamin and let's go to real food such as wheatgrass or spirulina corella or cod liver oil, some of these things that they may be missing, maybe oatmeal or whatever it is, that's what you're missing. And then we'll take a look at that. But if, if the relationship's new, I'm not gonna try to get them to do a lot. I'm just gonna try to may, maybe upgrade it. We talk a lot about upgrading. Just upgrade your multivitamin. But if I tell them to get rid of it right away and they don't understand the background on it, people are gonna do what they wanna do anyway, so. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun in this format of a podcast to kind of talk about real life, the, the honest beliefs and truths and systematic approach we come at it. And I would say with confidence, there's not many people that I would have continue to take a multivitamin if they can bridge that gap of the emotion or they've been doing it for 15 years. It's going to be hard to change that behavior because behavior change is hard. And they also think they have that placebo effect that if I'm in taking that multivitamin, I'm covering lots of ground and I don't eat very well. And so that's, yeah, but for us, we know this. If we can get you to do a couple of these things, they cover lots of ground and they're, food. They're, and they're coming from the real deal, which is the source. So, so should I take a vitamin or a probiotic? Let's just hit that probiotic real quick. Everyone's taking a probiotic. Digestion's a real issue. We've talked about this. Um, but who needs a probiotic? Who, who should really not necessarily be taking a probiotic? I always start right from the beginning again. What is a probiotic? I ask that. What's a probiotic? What's a symbiotic? What's a prebiotic? Most people don't know. So step one, let's understand what it is. So you're trying to create a garden of health. So let's talk, step back from the very beginning. Oh, do you understand a garden? Yeah, you got to get the weeds out of the garden. You got to have a healthy soil, healthy seeds. That's what we're talking about. Okay, now I get that. So instead of doing that, why wouldn't I just eat a live food that has all these things in it? So if I can get people to do water with lemon or eating an apple or maybe cacao nibs or some real live sauerkraut that's in the refrigerator section, now my body has those, all, all those ingredients necessary. Then the body has to actually use it correctly and the list goes on. So now the answer is no. But if I'm back to the multivitamin, if they're not willing to do that, then maybe a probiotic would be a, a good step. Yeah, and then one, one of the things you're doing there is you're making the body healthier for the long run. You're strengthening the immune system, the gut, the digestion. Not saying the probiotic doesn't do that, but again, the more that we can get back to how it was intended, the better. So let's move from that. I think that's a deep, we could go on and on on that question. Uh, intermittent fasting, what do you believe uh, people should know about intermittent fasting? Well, I think I'll be a broken record here, but what's the benefit of fasting? People fast for lots of reasons. But the number one reason I tell my clients or audience members is that it helps to clean the gut. So it helps keep the garden healthy. So that's what it does. So you give the body time to repair. And I like to go the 12 to 14 hours because it's easy. So if I fast overnight, if I've eaten at 8 p.m., don't eat again till 8, 9, or 10 a.m. It's sustainable. It's not, sustainable. I'm not on a diet. I don't have to worry about it going out to dinner and I can't eat because, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I don't eat till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I'm probably missing nutrients. I don't feel great. So now we're fasting for one reason and I want to try to lose weight. 
So to me, I'm looking at fasting as really getting the human body healthy, getting the gut healthy, and it's easy to repeat over and over and over. Do you use fancy words like autophagy when you're dealing with people one-on-one? Well, <laughs> well, you don't need to, you know, you can talk about that, but if, if you just tell them it helps clean the gut, it's pretty much the how, same thing. How did we make nutrition so complex with these words? And don't you find when you're working with people, if you don't use the science and get into the weeds, then they think, well, you must not know what you're talking about. But then both me and you watch when there's too much science involved, too much complexity, what are people going to actually do? Well, the thing we hear all the time is that there's so much out there, I don't know what to believe. Well, let's just go back to the basics and help people understand the basics. And once they get the basics, then they can understand why they're going to that. If they understood fasting, if they understood how fasting works and autophagy and the list goes on, but we have to go back to the basics. We do not know this stuff as a society. We don't really understand how the mind and the body are connected and why if the gut is healthy, generally the mind's better. It's all that stuff. So it's there's a lot of complications out there that is being thrown out there in little but, but, bits here and bits there, and now it's so confusing. I hear my friends telling me to do intermittent fasting and they're losing all this weight. Okay, great. And my friend tells me that I need to you know, cut carbs on my diet. I mean, you know, this goes on and on. So that, that, there's a lot of information out there that's I got, confusing. I got picked up, uh, uh, my driver to the airport two days ago, and um, we talked on the way there and same driver coming back. So we we're talking more and he said, what, what do you do? And I was trying to explain to him and you know, the tough part is I don't want to explain too much cause then it's going to be about asking questions and they don't have context. So I said, I'm in health, I'm in health and teach people how to take better care of their health. And he says, Oh yeah, yeah. You shouldn't eat carbs. And I mean, he, j- he didn't ask me what I believed. He just started saying, Oh, you this, I've heard this, no carbs. So yeah, I can understand there's all its bits and pieces. There's not a full story and then becomes challenging. Well, it's like, you know, anytime you hear about losing weight, you know, and again, I've been in the bodybuilding arena for a long time. And that's the first thing everybody does is you got to cut the carbs out of your diet if you want to get leaner. So you can see how it's so confusing to people. So here's a question, uh, pain management. Inflammation, how do I decrease pain? What would you say is the first thing to start to decrease pain? I would say um, pain's not a bad thing. That would be my first, let's talk about pain. So when I did that opioid conference a few years back, I was the ending keynoter and I really was careful on how I came up and started talking about this because you had a lot of people and the whole drug addiction and it was very emotional audience. But I came out at the very beginning and say, you know, in our world, what we have to understand that pain is there for a reason. Something's out of balance. And so if we don't recognize it and, ma- and we start to mask it, now we're gonna get in a problem. So to me, the first thing is, is you have to recognize that pain is there to tell you that something's out of balance. That's step one. Step two is nobody wants to be in pain. But what's the next logical steps you could take? So for example, I use, when I had my knee surgery, I had ruptured my patella. The first thing they gave me is, you know, uh, Vicodin to go home with. Well, I've never had any pain meds before. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Well, my whole body's out of balance, whatever. And then I go do rehab and I still, you know, they still want to know if I'm on these pain meds. And I said, no, because I'm, I'm going through pain, going through rehab, I want to know 
if the pain's talking to me. So step one would be understanding that pain is ne not necessarily a bad thing. And number two is what can I do in my lifestyle to help me get less pain and get back in the balance? And that takes some time and energy because I'd rather do CBD or I'd rather do uh, a pain med or I'd rather do, in reality is that might be a component of that, but that's not, you know, that's not the whole picture. Yeah, this could be a tool in the toolbox. It could be a could tool. could be a mitigation strategy, but you got to go after the source of it, be more aware of it. I think in reality, I think where we're at coming out of a pandemic is we don't really have that self-awareness because we didn't have it to begin with. You create stress and complexity. You come out of it in a, in a fashion where you're just surviving. So let's say, for example, if I have pain in my shoulder. So step one is let's talk about your shoulder itself, but maybe it's not just the shoulder. It could be your head being leaned forward. You lose space in the acromium. The, the list goes on. So let's talk about maybe the range of motion. Maybe you sleep on your side, or maybe you're, you're missing omega-3 fats, or maybe you don't have enough rest. You have too, too much overuse. Those are all things you address to help with the pain versus just, let's just take something to mask the pain. When reality is if you mask the pain, then you're probably never gonna you know, fix the source of the problem. Yeah, and, and again, I think as you started, pain is delicate. You know, it's you delicate. can talk about emotional pain. We're talking about physical pain really for the most part here, and uh, which is many times connected to inflammation. So it's not just about moving better and observing that, it's about eating better. It's about having the recovery. You know, uh, Kristen's doing a marathon. She's talking about pain in her knee. Is she getting enough recovery? You know, cause there's two options. You can continue to run, take some meds or go through the pain. Sure. Or you say, maybe I gotta rethink my recovery or how I run or strength. Like there's so many components and she was asking some really good questions. And I think that's where we have to Number one, accept pain as an indication. In, in Kristen's case, just this happened 15 minutes ago, she's, she's put miles on her knees that's telling you something's not right or something isn't used to this. And so, you know, an opportunity to but, change. But one of the things that's really hurting a lot of people out there is taking these chronic pain meds. You get a bee sting, you get a toothache, yes, yes. Post-surgery, yes. But we're having an epidemic of pain med consumption. And so that leads into gut issues, that leads to a lot of other problems. And next thing you know, you have acid reflux, you have gout issues, I can't sleep anymore, and now the pain. And you're not even talking about the more, you know, the narcotics, you're talking about over-the-counter Just over-the-counter, yeah. yeah. We're taking too much over-the-counter, too much pain. We now know we shouldn't be taking a baby aspirin anymore. We've been we've been talking about that forever, but now you know the, the, the traditional uh, medical group is now saying that, you know, these baby aspirins kill the gut. So, you know, when you think about any symptomatic relief, reliever, pain reliever, and if it doesn't go after the source of the problem, there's gonna be a side effect that associates with it. It's not, you know, I was t talking to my audience this week and I said, how many of you understand the easy option is never really gonna give you the results? And everybody unanimously said 100%. Unfortunately, including myself, we all look for that easy option. Sure, yeah. But we have to understand the easy option is usually easy for a reason. There's some simple options, but they're not always easy. And that's that's what we're getting at. And you could take the easy option, you know, like you said, I got a bee sting, I got a I can't ache. sleep through the night. Right. I, you go get get some sleep, yes. But then you gotta slowly address the actual pain because again, the pain's telling you something's out of balance. So I I did a presentation this week. Um, 
side by side, there's another presentation on stress that people could pick. And so let's talk about stress real quick. Um, what's the fastest way to control stress um, for both people that are in a stressful situation and or maybe are trying to prevent stress down the road? What's the fastest way to control stress? Well, the fastest way to control stress is to reframe your conversations you have with yourself. I think that's the fastest. Is it really as bad as I think? And number two, then we go into the physical things such as sleeping and breathing and, and things like that. So there's two kind of components there, but the nervous system is out of balance. There's no such thing as good and bad stress. Something's out of balance. So you gotta recognize what's causing that. And to me, when I feel like I can't sleep at night, something's going on, the more I drill down, the more I reframe. We had this conversation in our last podcast that is my, I think that's the fastest way to change it. And then instantaneously is changing how you breathe. What about, why, what about someone that's resistant to reframing because they addicted, but just are chronically in a stressful situation and maybe they're not self-aware that they have choices or control. What do you say to someone that's hearing this says, well, that sounds easier said than done. Um, and or maybe struggles with getting into that reframing? Well, it, again, it's, it's, it's not gonna be fixed overnight. Stress is killing our whole society. 80 to 90% of our healthcare expenditures are based on stress. And stress is physical. So I think the first thing I like to try to teach people is understanding if you feel threatened, doesn't matter whether it's real or not, your body's gonna react physically. Digestion shuts down, immune system's compromised, blood pressure goes up, heart rate goes up. So you got to recognize that stress is physical. So if you understand that stress is physical, then I want to know what are your stressors? Let's identify them. What's, what are the two or three things that are bothering you? I think that's where people... So then we do that, and then we start drilling down, and maybe that's teaching you a little bit about reframing. And then on the other side of that is, okay, what can you instantaneously, when something's really bothering you? Well, we've talked about this forever. Alternate nostril breathing, using your diaphragm, that's instant, but that's a skill. And so again, you, you hear people talking about this, and I'm stressed all the time, whatever. No, it, it, that's stressors. And stress, if you feel stressed, you know, stressors are bothering you. It doesn't matter if we're real or not, the body's going to react physically. So then we have to address that. So you're talking ha habits. So we have to create these habits and rituals. So it's not going to happen tomorrow. Or if you're chronically thinking the wrong things and going down these rabbit holes, you're not going to just think about lollipops and dandelions and get out of it. You're going to have to practice it. But you're getting that, number one, throughout all these questions so far, you have to have the self-awareness that there is a potential for a different outcome and or there's a different action that you can take to get that different outcome. Well, I remember when you, when you were writing Capacity, you kept talking about you are the source and solution to your stress. And that, people don't wanna know, I mean, I'm the source and the solution? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's certain things that, there's bad things that can happen to all of us. But at the same time, you, ha you have to understand that, that you are the source and solution to that stress piece. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. All right, one last question around rest and we'll kind of, I'll, I'll try to stump you with my final question, but let's talk about sleep. Um, I, I, I asked this audience this week, how many of you want to get eight hours of sleep? They were like hooting and hollering like it was not even possible. Like, what about five hours of sleep? What about six? Like, 
eight hours seemed like I was talking about something that's never happened in human ex existence. What, what do we need to do to get better sleep? Well, I think the big thing you and I both talk about that sleep's not a waste of time. That would be step one. Everybody understands that because many people think it's a waste of time. If you, they think it's a waste of time, they're not going to pay attention to it. So step one is, do you even value it? And if you think it's a waste of time, you're going to hack it. And you hear everybody out there, all these social influencers, I'm trying to hack my sleep. I need to steal that time to do other stuff. Wait a minute. If you're talking about optimal performance, feeling your best, brain health, the list goes on, you have to sleep. So that's the next question is, you ask the audience, how many of you want to get eight hours? They think it's crazy. How many of you want to have great energy? How many of you want to have a great brain as you age? How many of you want to have better hormonal balance, have better body weight, better satisfaction with your appetite? I mean, throw those out there. And then you're like, okay, so that's all related to sleep. Yeah, so that's, that's huge. Sleep is not a waste of time. It, I don't think most of the audience felt that way, but I think sometimes, again, source and solution, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, are you really valuing this? Just like anything else, what do you value? Well, one of the things, I, 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 you talk a lot about this, but if you're sleeping, you, you asked, I remember you talking about this one time I was listening to you speak, and you were talking about something, and somebody says, yeah, I get eight hours of sleep. And you said, well, when you go to bed? And they said, midnight. And then you said, when do you get up? And you said, 6 a.m. And you're like, how's the math here? How do you think that's eight hours? So I think a lot of people overestimate how much sleep they get, number one. And number two, when you think about sleep itself, like, okay, could you add 30 more minutes to what you're currently doing? Not two hours, not three hours. So if I'm sleeping five, let's go to five and a half. I was working with a guy the other day and he's saying, you know, I'm trying to gain weight and I'm trying to do this and that. I'm like, wait a minute. You get up at 4.15 every day. You're not getting enough sleep. And, and during sleep is when your hormones come out to play, and this is what makes your body strong and rebuilds it, and the list goes on. So your T level is in the toilet, and you're saying, I'm going to work out. Well, you're not getting enough sleep. Obviously, not valuing sleep to get to what you want to do. So we didn't add three hours to a sleep. We added 30 minutes. And then in a few more weeks, we're going to try to add another 15 minutes to that. So slowly, he's building, getting the mindset that, I really can get more sleep, but I got to plan it and I got to value it. Yeah, I mean, uh, both me and you believe and teach there's probably not an activity that's more valuable than sleep. But uh, we've all had times where we don't sleep. We've all struggled with sleep. But if you can get in some of these rituals, some of these beliefs where you value and sleep. And it's the fastest way to recover. I mean, the other day I was up north and I was doing a lot of work um, at our place physically my body was beat up i was doing chainsaws doing you know lifting stuff carrying the carrying the you know the, the mower down to the you know doing this and that and my body was a train wreck i went to bed i had about eight hours eight and a half hours of sleep i got up kind of felt a little stiff like my body was you know feeling back to normal i'm like that is incredible how the body can do that transformation in eight nine hours of, of good restful sleep yeah, and imagine the person that does that for a living and only gets five hours of sleep and they're, you know, and you've worked with many of them that their longevity was drastically reduced because of, you can handle it in uh, acute phases, 
but definitely can't do a day in and day out. All right, so the final question, and this kind of, it's a complicated question, but I had a lady ask me why tofu wasn't on the food target. And so you created the food target in 1994. How often did somebody try to stump you and say, well, I don't see this on the food target? Well, when the food target first, when I first designed it, I had a lot less foods on it. And then people are like, where's this? Where's that? I'm like, well, you can't put every nutrient on the planet in that food target. So it's just a concept. It's a concept of eating live, real food, so my, like the source. So my point is, she asked me where tofu was, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm thinking in my head, we've, what, we've redone this thing 50 times since I've, I've yeah. been here. So it was on there. I'm thinking, well, where is it? It should be you know, somewhere in the protein, uh, somewhere there. And I'm looking and I'm saying, well, maybe, maybe our idea, because we put meat and cheese alternatives in the red, so maybe that's what we're referring to. And, and she said, I'm just surprised that it's not like good because we're not going to miss things that are good. You know, it's usually those things that are, are outliers. And so, well, tofu really isn't good or it's not great. It might be good. So the yellow is good. And I said, definitely non, you know, organic, you know, low quality tofu is not going to be good. And she was really kind of flabbergasted. So we, the question that I'm going to ask you here is there's a huge push Bill Gates has this new food that's, you know, all about plant-based this. There's all these, uh, you know, pushing to eat more plant-based. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at this lady and she does not look healthy. And she said the reason that she's going vegetarian is to try to be healthier. And at one point she was trying to be vegan. And I'm not saying I don't know anyone that's healthy vegan or healthy vegetarian. There's millions of people doing it well. But for most of the time, when I hear people say that and they don't have the framework, they end up becoming unhealthier. So what's your opinion on this plant-based push, uh, these alternative meats? You know, a lot of people consider tofu healthy. You know, what's going on here? Obviously, it's many reasons someone would go this route. So let's talk about vegan, vegetarian, plant-based, meat. Let's, let's hit those. Well, the Wall Street Journal came out a couple weeks ago about omega-3 fats. And the word was not like omega-3 fats, you know, the verdict is, uh, you know, some research, whatever, but there's a lot of misinformation or confusion. And I kept reading, this is the Wall Street Journal, and I kept reading it and not one time in the article they compare different types of omega-3 fats. They just omega-3 fats. Like, okay, are you getting omega-3 fats from a big box store that's synthetic, you know, or is it is it the real wild Alaskan salmon or is it the, you know, Dutch Harbor Alaska cod liver oil? Never ever. Is in it flax seeds? Is it chia seeds? It, it never it? ever talked about the source. And it's the same conversation when you talk about whether it's plant-based or animal-based, whatever. So if you're going to go animal-based, you're going to do eat some animal, then try to eat the healthiest animal you could. So if you can do organic chicken and you can eat, know exactly where it's coming from versus these impossible burgers and all the stuff that's coming out there right now, where, what, what is this stuff? So to me, I understand if I'm going to, I eat a lot more plant-based than I ever used to. I still eat meat, but I really pay attention to whether it's, you know, animal or plant. It's where does it come from? So if you're talking about tofu or 
anything? Is it real edamame that I'm mashing myself and you know fermenting? Is it, is it that? Probably not. Or is it this over here that's been in the store for you know th 13 years and you know so that that's the is peanut butter good? I mean, is it the the stuff that's been in our basement down here for 23 years or is it the real peanut butter? So this is where the conversations I still believe, including the Wall Street Journal, they get it wrong. Yeah, and I, my perspective, and again, this this question was given to me before I was able to present. So I had to kind of tread lightly, right? Because sure. they don't know me, no they don't context. trust me. Yeah. Right. And I said, well, um, you know, I don't think 52 ingredients in a Impossible Burger, and again, I haven't looked lately, but that at one point was the number. I don't think that ever will be healthy. And I don't think trying to create a mass food that's manufactured and created in the lab is going to be the option that I'm going to choose. Now, there might be some other information presented. So I think sometimes this trying to feed the masses with a potentially a good intent from the start, then it gets haywire. So I think if you know, you're know you thinking about tofu, it's probably the first person to make tofu. It's probably healthy tofu. There's no doubt. But So you can have healthy tofu. You can have all this stuff. But if you go back to less is best... It's always going to be the, if you're looking at why, I would ask the question, so why would you put 52 ingredients in anything? Why? Because you're trying to match it to something that's not plant-based. So you're doing some type of synthetic uh, ingredient to make it taste, mask the taste. Or I'm going to do something Texture. that helps to bind it. I'm going to do, I remember there's a great book called Fat, Sugar, and Salt. And I remember my mom, your grandma, Love to make pudding, and she would make the pudding, and we love the pudding. You know, it was the Jello pudding, and she stirred on the stove. I remember, and she talk and stir and talk. It was like an hour and a half, and it come out. It was made with real milk. It was awesome. We loved it. it had the kind of the the crust. the crust on top of it. But then I'm reading this and reading this book, and it talked about well, since many women went into the workforce way back in the day, they had to come up with instant pudding. And they had to make this thing set up in five minutes or less. And then they started using the ingredients. I'm like, these th ingredients are poison. But they allowed, the FDA allowed them to use these ingredients if they had such a small amount of them. So that's where we get sideways with a lot of this stuff. Is we, you have a really good thing. They try to speed it up. You know, they try to hack it. And the next thing you know, now I have a pudding that's just unbelievable or a impossible burger that people think are is healthy well yeah and that, that's the case if it's not a package a box a, a wrapper and it's plant-based then i'm i'm all for it but if it starts to be packaged boxed and trying to be manipulated to to kind of convince people and there are many um vegan option sure frozen i had one yesterday and they're yeah. amazing you got you know you got black beans you got you know all sorts of healthy ingredients in there. So it's simple. It's like five, six ingredients at most. And you're like, okay, this makes sense. So the, the question, and then we'll wrap with this. So are you seeing a lot of people trying to go vegetarian and it actually deters their health? Because that's what I continue to see over the last couple of years as there's been documentaries and people are trying to watch what people do on Instagram and social media. And then they come and, you know, I was looking at this lady and one of the things I noticed is her eyes were red. Her skin was kind of dry. She looked fatigued and, and kind of low energy. 
but she's trying, her intention's good, but it, I'm not seeing that vibrancy that I think she's capable of. Well, I think, I think the frustration is when people are really trying, but they don't have the right information. So let's go right back to the beginning, Nutrition 101, what nutrients am I missing? What am I not absorbing? And then really help to help them wrap that around, whether it's, you know, I'm gonna go more. We, we, we talked about this a long time, you know, it's not so much prevalent today, but you know, everything gluten, anything gluten was poison. So now every store had a gluten-free aisle. Well, we, we always talked about, well, the gluten-free stuff's probably worse than anything else <laughs> because they strip everything out of it, including the, gluten. the, the nu nutrients, right? So now you have a pasta that has, it's like, might as well just eat paper because there's nothing to it, right? But it has no gluten in it. And so people are like, I'm eating the gluten-free. Well, wait a minute. The reason you can't break down gluten for most people, you don't have a good, strong garden, good gut health. So that's where I think we're moving in that same direction with the whole animal versus plant um, is that we're missing back to the source. Where's it coming from? And how's my body using it? Because the human body amazingly thrives when it's given the right stuff. I mean, Paul Pitchford with healing with whole foods. His whole book is about the healing power of foods. And so that's where I think people are still getting it wrong when I want, because they don't have that. I'm, I'm going to do the keto. I'm going to do the paleo. I'm going to do the, the vegan. It's so confusing to people. So again, we'll, we'll come back, uh, do some more questions. Uh, these are some of them. I would say my favorite questions to answer, continue to answer, try to help people. They're complicated. They're uh, complex. You, you sometimes have to understand where people are at and take them on this journey. It's not just uh, do this and, and get the results. And we're, so, and we're putting more and more of these frequently asked questions on our website so people have access to them. So check that out on our website, frequently asked questions at the bottom of the website to check these out. And so again, if you've missed anything today, we have more of those coming. So as I wrap up, I think the, the takeaway is you really are the source for many of these questions. And I think the key is you ask a better question, you get a better answer, you get that better answer, and you want to. Again, it comes down to intent. You want to. I think we all have the capabilities of the results we're looking for. All right, we'll see you again next time. Again, if you have any thoughts on topics, any questions, send us an email at info at ontargetliving.com.